You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. When does... Uh, Missouri's turkey season open up do you know it opens on Monday and I'll be there through Tuesday so I'm debating on whether I want to buy a $200 turkey tag for one morning and one bird oh 200 bucks that's outrageous for a turkey (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's like 198 bucks man do you only get do you get one bird well, it's really weird. The first week, you can only kill one bird. The second week, you can kill both bo- birds or kill your second bird in the second week of season. Huh. Yeah, I don't know if I'd buy a turkey tag if I were you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know, like, up to, like, uh, I talked to my parents on Monday night. So yesterday. I don't even know what today is. Today is Tuesday. Uh, they had there was 25 turkeys about eight yards from the back door of the house on Monday night. So yeah, I bet the a, weather's a little a bit nicer flocks. down there than it is up here. Yeah, I don't know. They had snow on Sunday there. They got a, about an inch of snow or so there, but we've gotten like over a foot in the past week. Oh, jeez. We're supposed to get another. I've seen anywhere from like 8 to 13 inches this weekend. (laughs) That sucks. And our season opens up in a week and a day. Um, So, yeah, I don't know exactly how that's going to pan out. I was actually invited to hunt up in northwestern Minnesota on a guy's farm. Um, And we talked on the phone yesterday. He's like, honestly, I don't even know if it's worth your time to come up if the weather is not going to change between now and then. He's like, they might still be all flocked up on the neighbor's farm, you know? Yeah. I was like, that's fine. We can just come down and hunt in the state forest by my house. Probably a little bit less snow. Yeah, that's crazy. I think it'd be cool to kill turkey in the snow, though, just for fun. Yeah, well, I hunted them last winter with the Wisconsin late season tag when it was like that week it was like 10 below. (laughs) That that was when I missed that one. First turkey I've ever missed with my shotgun. That was cold. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm excited for turkey season for sure. I'm just going to use a shotgun uh, for the Minnesota season because it's only a five-day season. I'll save the archery stuff for Wisconsin when I have more foliage to hide the movement, and I got a lot more time to kill, and I got 
plenty of tags. Yeah, Utah's opens this weekend too, so I'll miss opening weekend here in Utah, but then I'll go next weekend um, and hunt down south in the unit that I drew out for. That's got to be fun out there. It's different. Yeah, part of the challenge, yeah, different for sure. Maybe someday I'll be able to come out there and we'll tackle them together. Yeah, it's, I mean, basically glass them up in the evenings and see if you can find any, see where they go to roost and then hunt them in the mornings. I mean, is it open enough that if you see one roost, if you glass one roost that you can just walk in there the next morning and, I mean, you know exactly where to go and it's that easy or is it? Well, there's not that many. Yes, it's that easy because there's very few trees that are that big for birds to roost in. So it's, you find a drainage that's got some tall trees in it and pretty much you're going to find turkeys that are going to roost in there. It's not necessarily open. It's a lot of like scrub oak that's, you know, 10 or 12 foot tall. But inside of those, you can find these little patches that open up. Like last year where we were at, there's a, a watering trough for cattle in this nice big opening. And we ended up setting one opening over to the side of it because it was closer to the roost. But come to find out, that's pretty much where all the turkeys went to strut and gobble was in that one little opening with the water trough in it. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're going this year. I'm expecting to see harvest photos. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll take. I don't know if I have the recurve ready by then, so I may just stick with the old PSE. Yeah. No shotgun. No, that's cheating. <laughs> no, I, I shoot a shotgun. I shoot a shotgun 90, enough. Ninety percent of the turkey hunters out there probably shoot a shotgun. Oh, I'm sure they do. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I just I shoot a shotgun so much. I don't I don't see the fun in shooting a shotgun at a turkey. I don't think I'm good enough of a turkey hunter yet to fully put the shotgun away. I want to hunt them with a bow this year again for the challenge of it, but I don't, I haven't killed enough birds and had enough experiences that I think I'm like confident enough that I could go out there with a bow and, and like be sure I could fill my tag. Whereas like with a shotgun, I'm still not quite that confident yet, but I'm getting, you know, I have a lot better opportunity to actually punching a tag if I can get a bird to come into range. I think I've only killed two turkeys with a shotgun, and those are my first two turkeys. After that, I've never used a shotgun, and one of those I was like 14 or something. So I haven't used a shotgun for turkey hunting in, since I was in high school. Yeah, I mean, it's still not guaranteed. Did you watch Chains, the, you know, the guy we had on last week? Did you watch his yeah. video? Yeah. Looked like he shot that tree right in front of that gobbler. Yeah, it's, that's what it looked like. <laughs> and like I said, you never know. I mean, right. yeah, with especially a shotgun, stuff like that. I mean, all it takes is a little bit, and it's going to it's gonna keep from going through limbs like that or debris or anything, mm-hmm. especially using fives or sixes. Yeah, well, now they got the tungsten super shot down to, like, size nine. Yeah, man. I can imagine shooting a turkey with nines. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, ultralight gear. So this is kind of one of those things where on the Western side of things, this is a debate that has been ongoing for the ages. You know, how much money do you spend on gear? How much do you want your gear list away? Can you brag about how light your gear list is? Even outside of hunting, the backpacking world, the ultralight crowd is... It, it's a big topic and in whitetail hunters, it seems to be more, I guess, isolated to the guys that are more run and gun, uh, whether they're public land or private land, but 
a more mobile style just because they're always carrying their stuff in and out. And I think it's interesting because a lot of the same things that people argue, the pros and cons for backpacking or backpack hunting or Western hunting in general, also kind of apply to whitetails with the mindset. After a long, hard hunt where you're just coming back to the truck sweaty and you're thinking, I got to, I got to do something. This is too much. This is, this is taking the fun out of it you know, hauling all this junk into the woods each time. And that will usually get you to reevaluate, reevaluate your gear list. Or on the other hand, let's say, um, you're in an off season like we are right now and you're just kind of evaluating your stuff and you're thinking, you're looking at paper, you're looking at numbers and you're thinking, how can I make that better? Which is a pretty easy thing to, to do or fall into when you're not actually out in the woods. I almost feel like to a certain extent, if you're not super miserable, when you're out actually using this stuff, you don't really like, I guess, think about all the improvements. Maybe you do. I'm not sure. But for me, I don't necessarily always feel it as much when I'm out in the woods versus when I'm, when I'm back at home and I got nothing to do. And I'm starting to think about how can I make things better? That's usually when I start thinking about whether or not I want to make something lighter weight. Mine's all the time. I carry, even when I hunt from a saddle, I carry a notebook with me in the tree stand and it may be something as small as my bow hanger or something that just frustrated me on that hunt. I'll write it down and I'll circle it. And then, you know, I do this all throughout the season. And like you said, on weekends where I can't hunt or something's going on, I'll pull out that notebook and I'll flip through those pages to look and see. And I may find a common theme in there that's something that's frustrated me. And I'm like, okay, I need to figure out how to solve this problem because obviously it's a problem for me. And then I go from there. And like I said, you know, the off season is the biggest time. Like for me right now, I'm crunching numbers on my backpack for this coming fall already. You know, so I'm looking at, you know, lighter stove, um, you know, going to a bivy instead of a tent, you know, going to bivy and a tarp basically, or do I go a hammock? So just crunching all the numbers and figuring it out. And I think you've seen a lot of that uh, recently with whitetail hunting. You know, it's not necessarily been as big, like you mentioned, in the east as it has been in the west, you know, just because the distance and the amount of gear that's on your back compared to you know on the east you're walking mile mile and a half basically with a tree stand but it seems in the past you know two years if you look at forms two or three years probably you've really seen a crunch for trying to go as light as possible with saddles tree stands steps sticks aiders whatever it might be and there's a point in there where you go too far and you know in the west that is the hazard of can make your life completely miserable or put your safety at risk by going too light. Whereas necessarily in the East, not as extreme, but you could very easily put your safety at risk by trying to go too light, you know, using something that's not going to hold your weight or something like that. Yeah. You just hit on a couple of really good points. Uh, one is that safety is one of the, imp- one of the things that I think probably just as big of a factor, if not more of a factor when it comes to whitetail guys and it, it does out West. Um, cause you have that additional risk with whitetail hunting that if you try and go ultralight with something that's supporting your, your body from a tree, all of a sudden that is a lot more of a, an acute risk than say you get too cold when you're out West, which is another, it's different, I guess. Um, but the other thing you touched on too, is that all of these things could have trade-offs and there's different categories that you can kind of lump things in. What does it weigh? What's the usability like? What is the cost? You know, think about the very best possible thing that you could come up with 
it might be the best material, easiest thing to use, super lightweight. It's probably not going to be cheap. I mean, you started getting into, into uh, titanium accessories out west. It doesn't. It costs a lot of money to make titanium stuff. And that trade-off and that kind of race to zero, I guess. The forums, it seems like, really contribute or, I guess, push that race to zero to see who can get the lightest stuff or who can come up with something lighter. Or you see something on the forum and say, okay, I need to try that because that's lighter than what I'm, what I'm getting at. Um, and then once you try it, you might find out that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be because there was trade-offs, because it wasn't as easy to use, because... You know, maybe you look at it and you say, well, that's too expensive and I am fine just carrying the extra four pounds or whatever of whatever I have now, uh, just so that I don't have to spend that extra money and I'm only going in a mile, mile and a half and I can just tough it out. For me, when I kind of fit the zero point, because I, I went through the same thing too, where I tried to see how light I could get and I tried to push it to the very max. And the lightest thing that I found for a white tail tree stand guy is you go with a saddle and you go with a multi-step aider that's basically girth hitched around a tree. I don't know if you can get any lighter method that you can basically use in any tree and you can climb to any height, but there's a reason that I basically never use it because it's a huge pain in the butt to use. Um, and even though that one was very cheap to put together, that was the kind of the big trade-off and the big pullback for that one. But I think once you, the point is once you hit that zero point where it's like, I've gotten about as light as I can go then you start to kind of reevaluate. Um, so I think the exercise, the mental exercise of going to that zero point and then kind of balancing back and, and pulling back a little bit to where you're comfortable, that's kind of a good exercise for a lot of people to go through just because then they're not really second guessing themselves as much. Yeah, this whole ounce counting, um, you know, really can affect the safety, the comfortability with your setup. And like you said, a lot of people, I say a lot, most of this ounce counting is in the East is mostly on like the forms, like saddle hunter, like the hunting beast, stuff like this. If you look at the mainstream market, you don't necessarily see it as much, but in the forms, you see these people pushing these envelopes. And like you said, some people push it and then realize, yes, it's lighter, but it doesn't work for me, whether I don't like the safety of it, whether I don't like the functionality of it, something like that. And they bring themselves back. So they kind of get an idea of how far they can push the envelope for what is for each person basically. And that's the hard thing is figuring out what is for you works, what works well for you. Example, my muddy sticks, my muddy sticks are heavy and they're short. I won't trade for my muddy sticks just because of that. The rope cam cleat system to me just can't be beat. So I take a weight penalty right off the bat. And in the East, I don't have any problem with that weight penalty because I'm not necessarily going far enough or going in enough and again, back to the safety, it's, you know, ounce counting in the east is just about suffering on walking and sweating. Ounce counting in the west, if you go too far, you know, you could die hypothermia or you could run out of food or something silly like that. So to me, that's kind of the big difference. I'll take the weight penalties in the east for convenience compared to in the west. Yeah. Um, a couple examples that come to mind. Uh, there are guys on the hunting beast forum that always have and always will use a tree stand and four sticks and there's nothing you can do to change their mind and they're totally fine with it. They've I've been exposed to everything else that's available and they're just super comfortable with that setup and that's just the way that they're going to be and that's what they're, they're happy with. Whereas 
I always, I kind of push, I like pushing the envelope just for fun, just because I think I like the challenge of trying to find something that's better, whether or not something that I used in the past actually did work fine. I mean, a tree stand and sticks works fine for most people. I can cut that weight over in half by, you know, customizing my own sticks and going to a saddle and all these other things. Is it a necessary thing? No. Did it cost me a lot of money? Yeah. But am I happier off now because of it? Yeah. And am I also happy that I went beyond where I'm at now and basically said this sucks and then kind of came back to a middle point? Yeah. I think that was a a good exercise for me. I think a lot of it is people would just want to want to push the envelope to see how they can come up with the lightest weight climbing method possible basically and that's kind of in the east the big one right now is how to get up the tree i mean saddles are pretty light whether they're a diy saddle or the kestrel or something like that they're light i mean that's right now the lightest tree stand that you can buy or tree stand replacement basically so then it's the big question is getting up the tree and this this to me is what kind of cracks me up about a lot of this is you know they're counting ounces and you know maybe like a half a pound and then you look at the setup and you can find weight where you can shave somewhere else so for example you know a bow you could shave pounds off a bow if you went from a compound bow to a traditional bow if you're looking for the most lightweight setup you just save yourself four pounds but they're nitpicking three five eight ounces on a climbing stick you know, and it's just, to me, it's where it's like, okay, you start looking at the lines and it's like, okay, the lines are really getting blurry now. Right. The biggest thing that I see when I look at the, the climbing method thing is, um, just the safety aspect of it, just because, I mean, we are pushing the envelope so much. And a lot of these, a lot of the things that you do see, it's like you push it until it fails. And then you know that you went too far. And a lot of guys are doing it on ground level and are super concerned about, you know, the safety and, and they're trying to do it as controlled as possible, uh, which is a good, I guess, methodology to have. But then if somebody tries to duplicate that, they don't necessarily understand the risks. Now, all of a sudden, um, it's, it's a little bit of a predicament. And especially with the temperature change and season change, everybody's testing stuff now, basically. When it's, you know, 60 degrees, 70 degrees, in your case, probably still 30 degrees. (laughs) But, you know, they're not testing it, you know, when their hands have been frozen solid from sitting on the stand for, you know, five hours, six hours, and trying to do this stuff with heavy, bulky winter clothes on. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, that's one of the issues that kind of scares me is, you know, you see a lot of these people pushing stuff. It's like, okay, how is that going to work when your hands are cold, numb? You know, is it going to be a safe? It may be. It may not be. Uh, But like I said, you've got to push that envelope. And my biggest thing is just worried about people hurting themselves, pushing that envelope um, in the winter time when, you know, like you said, climbing up and down is statistically when you're most likely to fall from a tree stand or from hunting, you know, so now you're adding some crazy ultralight climbing method in 30 degree weather. You know, it's a recipe for disaster if you ask me. Yeah, Mike aider system that I used on my sticks last year. I started with double step aiders on all my sticks and I tested it out in, you know, August, September. I'm thinking, this is great. This is awesome. This is easy to use. And then, like you said, once it got into November, you know, around the time about rifle season, it got really cold and you'd sit up there and you'd force yourself to sit all the way till dark, even though you were beyond chilled because you didn't dress warm enough. And all of a sudden now you got to climb back down. 
getting your feet in those aders and then hanging on to everything. I mean, by the time you get back down to the bottom of the tree, even though you've been exerting yourself, you're still a little bit chilled just because you were so cold to begin with and your movements are a lot slower. Um, so if you were to slip or kick out or something, you're not going to necessarily have the strength to catch yourself like you would have back if it was August and you were on the verge of sweating. So yeah, it's definitely a, a big, uh, the big concern. And that's why for me, I dropped those top two sticks to single step aiders as opposed to the double step. Cause I know I can take those and there's a lot less lower risk of kick out with those single step ones. And aiders are the one for me that, that really, to me, I don't like aiders. Uh, I used aiders back when I used lone wolf sticks and they're a death trap waiting to happen in my opinion. And that's something that everybody seems to be going to is a single step aider or a multi-step aider. And there's just, you have to really kind of focus when you're going down or coming up with aiders, you know, whether you're, you do the toe to the tree or the inside of the foot to the tree or whatever, you know, aiders were really designed to be used on trees the way we're using them. Um, and that's kind of the, the dangerous thing is you get somebody out there who doesn't know a whole lot about aiders, never really used them tested them a few times in their backyard with tennis shoes on then sticks their you know size 12 alpha burly boot in there and tries to climb up or try tries to climb down you know that to me that's where the most dangerous part of it's going to be yeah for sure and the way i kind of assess risk i mean there's lots of ways you can assess risk and there's actually measurable ways to assess risk in you know business and industry but if you kind of look at it from the standpoint of what's the likelihood that this will actually occur. Also, what is the severity? Basically, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen if this thing did occur? And that kind of, you know, multiplies to give you how risky is this? And so like, if I look at an aider on the first climbing stick that I put on the tree, the first stick that's at ground level, the likelihood of me kicking out on an aider at ground level is pretty low. It's never happened to me in, you know, however many years I've been using aiders and climbing sticks, but it's a, a chance that could happen. And now what's basically the worst thing that could happen to me if I did kick out on an eight or six feet off the ground, you know, I might roll an ankle, might break something, but the likelihood is so low for me that when I look at those two things together, it's like, yeah, I can, I can handle that risk. That's not too big of a, a deal for me. Now you look at what am I doing on my second or third or fourth stick when you're 20 feet off the ground, the likelihood of you kicking out or, or losing your balance on an eight is still the exact same that it was when you're close to the ground, but now the the worst thing that could happen has obviously magnified a lot and that should uh, factor into how you're assessing that risk so i mean even like uh you know uh, your first stick you're doing a double aider then the second stick you're doing a single aider or no aider third stick no aider that's in my mind kind of a, a good way to to look at it as well and just kind of assess yeah what's the likelihood what's the worst thing that could happen look at those two things together and then calculate the weight penalty that, okay, well, if I was just to get rid of these aiders and carry another, you know, two pound climbing stick, you know, is that worth the potential risk in which I have? And like I said, that's a really good way to approach it. You know, obviously the higher up you get, the more the risk is um, because your consequences are going to be worse the higher up you get. Because it's, you know, it's kind of the same way with me. I don't use an aider, but my first step to my stick is tremendously higher from the ground to that first step. I mean, I'm talking like hip level between hip and middle of my thigh. So you're looking at like 35 inches or something in there. Obviously coming down in the dark, 
you know, I have the potential to roll my ankle, break my ankle, just fall off there. But like you said, because I'm so low to the ground, that's an acceptable risk to be able to put my step that high, basically. Yeah. And then, and then it comes down to just, like you said, the cost, you know, is it worth the extra money to spend to get, you know, save a pound off of there? And this is one that's real big in the West out here is basically dollar per ounce. And I think somewhere I heard it and it was on somebody's podcast and it was like, I don't know, a ridiculous amount of money per ounce to cut weight from your backpack. And it's a couple hundred bucks basically um, per ounce to cut weight. Cause like you said, you can go from a, you know, aluminum fork to a titanium fork to whatever and save weight. So you got to factor in what, how much money are you willing to spend to go light? Yeah, that's a, a good point. And the other thing out West too, is that, uh, it not only matters, I guess, what you're carrying as in terms of total number, but how you're carrying it and how good is your packing skills? Are you putting the large, you know, the more compact, heaviest things, you know, closer to your spine and, and you, you got your load set up correctly. Cause that can make a big difference in the perceived weight and how it feels. Are you buying an ultralight backpack that really can't handle a heavy load as well? Or are you buying a big beefy backpack that was designed to carry heavy loads? And even though the pack weighs two or three pounds more, once you have a heavy load on, it feels different. Kind of the same thing with a tree stand. Why would guy, why would somebody ever put like a Molly webbing system with a hip belt and big padded shoulder straps on a tree stand? You add you know, a pound, pound and a half onto what that tree stand was originally, but it carries the weight so much better, especially when you got multiple sticks and camera gear and extra clothes and all that stuff on it. Yeah. And the, the perceived weight compared to the actual weight can be different. You know, you, it may feel like you're hauling, you know, 60 pounds when in all reality you're hauling 40. So like you said, a backpack can make the world a difference. I mean, like you said, people swapping out for the molly straps on tree stands compared to the the crappy like one-inch webbing that most tree stand manufacturers send with them. So it's something as simple as that where you may not be saving weight. You may actually be adding a little bit of weight, but in all reality, it's making you feel like it's lighter weight. Right, exactly. And that's something you don't get just by looking at the numbers. Yeah, you've really got to test that to figure it out. You know, it's I got a a Kuyu backpack. I got like their 3000 cubic inch backpack for me personally. It does not carry weight very well at all. It just does not fit me the way I feel like it should. So I'm going to go to a heavier pack, like an XOP, um, 3,500. It's XO? heavier in weight. Yeah. You said XOP. So it's, just want to oh, correct you there. <laughs> yeah. XO, I don't know. XOP, um, <laughs> an XO pack, which is heavier in weight, but the one that I've used before, felt like I was carrying a lot less weight just because it fit my body better. And for me, just on that same pack note, I've been using the cheap Alps Commander frame pack that I got on Amazon for like 90 bucks. And I use that right now. Is it the lightest pack? No. Is it the best pack at carrying heavy loads? Probably not. But it was also very inexpensive. And for the amount of time that I spend out West and the amount of, you know, hours out of the year that I'm actually packing a heavy load out, is it worth spending an extra three, four or 500 bucks to get that pack? For me, the answer hasn't been a yes yet. It may be at some point, but you know, kind of the, that trade-off cost, weight, usefulness. And time. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that you brought up there. That's really interesting. We're talking about, you know, weight 
per dollar, basically, but there's also one that's time per dollar. You know, how much time are you actually going to spend using said object or, um, you know, under said object, whether it's a tent or a tarp, and how much money are you willing to spend? Like you said, if you're coming out west to hunt for four days, there's no sense in spending, you know, six, seven hundred bucks on a Kafaru shelter when you could buy a, a simple shelter, a silk nylon tarp, basically, and get away with it at a, you know, less than a hundred bucks, basically. So that's another thing to factor in when looking at ultralight is how much time are you actually going to physically use that particular item? Um, you know, knife, for example, there's been a big craze lately for like the, um, small skeletonized replaceable blade knives instead of like the Havlons or a fixed blade knife. You know, for most people, they're going to use those knives a matter of minutes or 30 minutes to an hour, basically. So you can get away with a lightweight knife with something like that. Whereas if you use that knife extensively, you know, skinning multiple animals, um, things like that, it's not going to be as comfortable. Your hand's eventually going to cramp. So there's a weight trade-off because of not only that, but the amount of time in which you're using that particular product. Yeah, that's a good point. When I was looking at buying my Enlightened Equipment Quilt, they have it real uh, nicely laid out on the website where you can choose kind of your options. How wide do you want it to be? Do you want it to be regular width, long width, extra long? Same thing with the length. And then you can choose your down fill weight. You can choose your colors and all this stuff. So you can kind of build your quilt as you go. Um, and it kind of keeps an updated price at the top for what this is going to cost you. And it keeps an updated number for the weight. And you can be like, oh, well, if I just go down a little bit on the width from this size to this size, and if I can, yeah, I think I can handle this a little bit shorter length. Look at that weight number drop. And if I just go up to like 850, oh, if I go up to 900, oh, wow, look at how light that is. That's pretty cool. But then you look at the, the price and you're like, how long am I going to be using this again? <laughs> like, it makes it pretty hard to justify. And, and, uh, and like we've all, you know, kind of gone through the experience. It's like, yeah, that cheap Walmart, you know, Coleman sleeping bag would probably work. It's just going to really suck for the amount of time that I'm having to carry it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it'll, it'll work, but it's, you know, four pounds basically. So it's going to suck to pack it in for the six hours you pack it in. You know, so if you're only in there for three days, you know, you're packing 12 hours, you're sleeping under it for a little bit versus if you're packing in there, staying in there for 10 or 12 days, that's going to be a different story, you know, because your six hour pack is going to suck more, but you're going to be better during the nights when you sleep in there and on that particular quilt. And like I said, I went through the same thing when I was looking at quilts. It's like, yeah, I want like a, a 900 down. And then you look at the price and you're like, yeah, no, I'll take the, like the half pound weight <laughs> penalty and go for like 800. It'll be okay. I'll survive. Right. And I think a lot of that goes back to, you know, kind of the, it seems to me the East is a little catching up to the West on this. Cause like you said, a lot of the Western things you can really dial in your ounces. Um, and the East just kind of seems to be catching up to that where they're really starting to count ounces and looking at things like the enlightened quilt, you look at it and it really has that real good breakdown of, okay, if I add this, this is going to change my weight and my cost. Whereas in the East, I mean, obviously there's not a whole lot of stuff that influences that, but you don't see that kind of really great breakdown for products in the East. Yeah. So I actually have a big Google drive spreadsheet that I use to basically itemize all my gear and all my options. And so the way that I have it kind of broken out is I'll have a segment for uh, stand slash saddle and I'll just have various options and everything that goes into that saddle setup or that tree stand setup 
it'll all be plugged in there and it'll have a you know individual weight for each item and then a total weight and then i'll have a climbing method section and then i'll have a platform section and then a hunting gear section like pack utility hanger knife that kind of stuff and then i'll have a camera gear section where i'll have basically all the camera stuff i would list if i was trying to basically get the best footage i could and then another section for like a minimalist camera gear if i just brought like a tactic cam and a couple action cameras and left the camera arm at home and then obviously the weapon if you know trad bow versus you know rifle versus whatever and then based on you know how i want to look at that i can say for this hunt if i want to choose you know this saddle with this climbing method this platform uh these, this set of hunting gear and this type of camera footage that'll get me to this weight. And it, it's kind of a, a quick, easy way for me to just kind of experiment with different ideas from a number standpoint. And then I can say from experience, I know that this is going to be faster than this method. I can say that, you know, this, you know, from like a camera gear perspective, I can get, I know what the footage is going to look like with this option versus this option and those kind of weigh into it too. So I can kind of compare the numbers and then say, well, okay, that's the number difference. I know from experience, this is what it's actually going to be like. Um, so then it's kind of a helpful tool for me. Yeah. There's a really good website that I use. It's called uh, lighterpack.com and it's something very similar. Like you enter in uh, like a subgroup. So for example, I would enter in like sleep system. And then I could enter in the weight of my quilt, the weight of my um, pad, the pillow, um, sleeping bag, whatever it may be. You can list it all down, and then it kind of gives you a pie chart of your total weight by each subsection. So I think I have optics, um, sleep system, pack, uh, like miscellaneous stuff like toilet paper, knives, gloves, things like that. And then you can look at it, and you can see your weight breakdown by that particular group. So like optics last year for me was ridiculously heavy. It was like most of my pack weight with a spotting scope and binoculars and stuff like that. So then I was able to say, okay, well, I'm just going to cut out the spotting scope. That's going to save me two and a half pounds basically. So it gives you a real good visualization to look at and figure out where you can lighten things, um, you know, where you necessarily are too light and then you can look at it from year to year. So I can look at last year's um, or 2016's versus 2017's and see how that changed and see if I had any effect from that particular change. So sleep system, I went from a, a qu um, sleeping bag to a quilt, you know, and I was lighter. Did it hurt me any? No, I slept just fine with a quilt for the most part. So, okay, I can see I reduced my pie in that area and it didn't affect me. So, okay, where else can I start to reduce from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like pretty much the exact same or similar type of system that I'm using, just probably a little bit easier for people to just plug and play versus having to set up that whole spreadsheet. Yeah, so I just pulled mine up here. I have my categories are sleep system, hydration system, my kill kit, tool bag, essentials, cook system, optics, clothing, tracking poles, bow, and pack. And heaviest of those is... Um, hydration system which is seven pounds seven ounces whoa and then clothing is seven pounds and that's two liters of water or three liters oh, of water though okay full that's why it's so heavy and then clothing is seven pounds optics is six six point one two yeah and clothing is one of those ones where it's de it's deceiving you think oh I, I can get that number down by leaving this at home and then you end up regretting it 
Yeah, and but five of that, five pounds of that seven for my clothing was worn. So I only brought basically two pounds in my pack. Okay. So that was a total base weight for my pack at 37 pounds. And that could run me seven days at 37 pounds. Yeah, I don't even count. There's certain things I don't count. I don't count clothes that I wear into my total gear list because I don't notice that weight. I'm always wearing clothes on a daily basis. So it's, you're just used to that weight. Um, I don't count trekking poles as weight, assuming that they're being used and not just being hauled on the pack. For my whitetail list, uh, it's pretty interesting when I look at the breakdown. If I am using a tree stand, my nine pound assault is, you know, probably the heaviest item. Uh, but if I go to like a saddle setup and I use basically either of my climbing methods, the heaviest thing for me is my camera gear at 7.1 pounds of total things. That includes uh, my camera arm, which the camera arm is not even stock. I modified my camera arm to basically cut the weight by 50% by using aluminum instead of steel. Um, and then I have that Sony FDR AX100, my main cam. And then I have the shotgun mic that goes into that. I have... Uh, basically two action cameras and that gets me up to about 7.1 pounds um, and that's literally the the largest item and it's like a third of my total pack weight so based on what i want to take in do i want to take in like sticks the camera gear and like an xop seat style platform with hunt with a saddle then my total weight ends up being like 27.8 pounds um, or do i want to use kind of like a, a wild edge step climbing method with an aider system and go with the minimalist camera setup where I'm leaving the, the camera arm at home and use like an Ameristep platform. Now I'm at, at only eight, 18 pounds. Um, and that weight would obviously be even lighter if you were using uh, no camera gear at all, like most guys are going to be. So then usually I'm between those two extremes between like 18 and 28 pounds for my whitetail setup, including my camera gear and bow. And that's where I see this ultralight counting ounces really matter is for those people who film their hunts because now you're adding an additional seven, 10 pounds to your setup basically. So if you can go with, you know, something that's lighter to cut weight, to make up for that camera gear, to me, that's where it makes a big difference is for guys like that. Cause instead of hauling, you know, 22 pounds, you're hauling 15 pounds, basically for guys like me that don't haul it, you know, there's no point in me really counting ounces you know when i'm running a saddle four climbing sticks a step platform my bow and you know maybe three pounds of stuff in my backpack you know so for me it's it, i don't see the point in counting ounces in my eastern gear compared to my western gear i'm one of the ounce nerds where i'm trying to figure out where i can cut three ounces do you know what your approximate gear weight is for your eastern setup um, not off the top of my head, no. Um, saddle, three and a half pounds. Um, and then the muddy climbing sticks, I think they're two and a half pounds per yeah. so step. They're, they're probably 10. So there's 10, so that's 13. My Ameristep platform is like two pounds. So that's 15. And then my pack is, I would probably say maybe two pounds. And then if you count my bow, my bow weighs in at, scroll down here and I can tell you how much my bow weighs. My bow weighs in at seven pounds. Okay. So most people don't count their bow for the most part. They just count their gear they carry in. So you're looking at like 17 pounds maybe. It's a rough guess. 
Yeah. I, I started counting my bow just because I'm carrying it and I'm always carrying yeah. it. And it always sucks to carry because there's never really a great way to carry the bow. So, and that's, yeah. that kind of goes back to that, you know, you can add weight to make it feel different. A bow sling, something as simple as a bow sling can really change your perception of how easily you can carry your bow or how that weight is perceived. Cause like I said, seven pounds in your hand gets annoying after you've walked five miles. Basically I use a, um, oh man, I completely just spaced out and forgot the name of the company bow snatcher. Yeah. It's a bow snatcher. So basically it's a kind of like a, a wheel and it's got a bracket that attaches to my pack and I can slide my bow in there. I can pull my bow out really quick but it's just a perceived weight that I don't have to have that bow in my hand when I'm walking all the time. So it makes it easier to carry my bow. Um, you know, a bow sling, whether it's a Primo's, a bow slicker, um, whoever it might be, those are something that, that you go a little bit heavier, add a couple ounces, but the perceived weight is actually lighter. Yeah. Um, when you climb your tree, I know you use that gear hoist, the Doyle's gear hoist. Have you ever attempted to climb with the bow on your back? Yes, before I got a Doyle's gear hoist. I used to have an affinity. Absolutely. I hated bow ropes. The whole figure eight, wrap them around your hand. I've mm -hmm. left more bow ropes in the woods than anything. And so, yeah, I used uh, like the Primo slings to try and climb with the, the bow on my back. But for the most part, they would bump into like my climbing sticks. Um, not necessarily worried about the noise as much as I am the damage to my bow, chipping the limb, something like that. And they were just a, a pain in the butt. If somebody made one that like attached to the bottom cam and was more like a backpack so you had a strap over each shoulder so it kept the bow centered behind you instead of just a single strap where the bow could slide around in front of you or flop more i think it would be a very um viable option but I've, as far as i know nobody really makes anything like that you know because for the most part people are running backpacks anyway so there's right, something exactly. back there whereas for me i'm running that small sling pack I could easily throw that on my pack over my sling pack and be just as easy to walk in. Yeah. I've kind of been thinking about it from the other, the other standpoint of, well, I'm going to be carrying a, a backpack because I have my camera gear, but if I have the bow on like a, a shoulder sling and I mean, the compound is kind of heavy. Uh, it gets a little awkward, just that weight on your shoulder. And like you said, swings around and it's so easy to, to bump a cam against like a hard aluminum stick and wonder if you damaged it. But with the trad bow, it, it seems like it's a lot harder to really hurt it. And they make slings that basically split into two different layers. So you can put it on one shoulder and then kind of split the strap and put, pull it over your head and then pull that other half onto your other shoulder. And then it becomes kind of like a backpack and then you can kind of sling it around the backside of your body. So I've been thinking, I haven't actually gotten to the woods yet to really play around with this, but that was kind of one of the things where I was looking at my setup and I'm like, well, if I don't have to pull the bow up through a bunch of branches and crap and, and I can just, you know, basically carry it up the tree with me, that's one less thing that I have to do makes my setup a little bit more efficient. So if I can find, figure out a way to really do it and not get damaged to the bow and not make it seem like it's more of a burden than a help, I might try to do that this year. Yeah. And little things like that, you know, people really haven't looked at yet. It's ways to shave weight. You know, I took the huge weight penalty by going to a Doyle's gear hoist. I think they're a little over a pound compared to, you know, 30 feet of paracord or whatever is only a couple ounces, you know, but for me, it just removes such a frustration from hunting and getting set up in the morning, you know, not having to deal with that bow rope that to me, it's well worth that extra pound. I'll hike around with that pound on all day if I have to, just to keep it. 
Mm-hmm. The one thing that always makes it into my pack list is the uh, the little deer drag rope. The little plastic handle with the, I don't know, four-foot rope or whatever that you just wrap around. It's like when I get to the deer to a point where I can actually use a sled or a cart or something, yeah, it just makes it, it's easier to just walk back to the truck and get that extra thing and just haul it out that way. But for the length of, you know, distance that you have to actually drag the deer through something where you can't really get anything else in there, having that little, you know, hoist or handle really makes a big difference for me. So that's a little bit of weight that I pretty much will always probably carry. And that's, that's the big one out here is in the West is what's that one item that you're going to pay for the weight penalty for the convenience of it. So everybody's got their own. Um, I don't even know what mine is off the top of my head. Like I don't carry a toolkit when I'm out here, you know, being in the Wasatch front, you know, for the most part, I'm within five hours of town basically. So there's no point in me carrying Allen wrenches up on the mountain. You know, if I have an issue because I live here, I'm going to hike out you know, fix my bow. So I'm not going to carry Allen wrenches or anything like that. Versus if somebody came out here from the East, going to spend a week out here, it'd be a good idea to at least have them in the truck. If not carry them with them, because it's probably going to be a, you know, once in a, once every five years hunt, maybe, or, you know, maybe the only time they come out here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a luxury item, I guess. Uh, I had a Bowmaster press and, you know, all the Allen wrenches I could ever need and backup barrels and backup broadheads and everything. I had all that stuff down in the truck, you know, and it's kind of like, well, what's the likelihood of this actually happening when I'm up in the mountains? And what's the impact if it actually does go wrong? And I'm like, well, it's not very likely. And you, like you said, maybe once in every five years type of thing. And, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen if you know, the bow does break. Oh, I got to walk down, you know, two, three miles to get back to the truck and, and fix it. And I lose a day of hunting. That's not too bad. I just leave it in the truck. Yeah, exactly. Is you know, if I was going to Alaska, that'd be a different story. I'd have yeah. all that crap at least at camp. And then it's like, Oh, well, we're not going to be back for a day or two. Okay. Well, it's coming with me just in case. <laughs> right. Right. It's kind of like when you're, when you're packing your, your bag and you're just about ready to go. And then you kind of look at all the other stuff that hasn't made it on your official gear list. And you're like, ah, well, I'll just throw it in at the last second. Just <laughs> yeah. usually those like, extra, I got a, I got a little bit of room left. <laughs> right. Those extra items usually end up adding more weight than, you know, all the time you spent trying to whittle that pack weight down to nothing anyway. And that's why I run a, even in like my, I've run that, um, out pack, you know, I run that very small sling pack is cause I hate having stuff in a pack that I'm not going to use. It drives me nuts to be like, oh, why did I pack this? I didn't use it. So I want to have as little space to put stuff in as possible. So that's why, like, you know, out here I run a 3,000 or a 3,500 bag. It's because, like, if I get a 6,000 bag, I fill it up, and I'm like, well, it's, like, half empty. I need to stick more stuff in here. It's it's not full yet. Versus right. if I get just enough I can cram the essentials in, I don't wind up taking – extra stuff that I really don't need or I'm like oh I might need this it's like I'm not going to need it so I'm not going to take it now because it won't fit which is a totally different mindset too because you look at like uh you know like the boy scouts mentality or you know some of the things like guys in the military learn will learn it's like well you know two is is one and one is none and you might need it so it's best to pack it I got a good friend of mine that that's like that and his his pack is you know always 20 30 percent heavier than mine and he has no problem humping that weight because he knows that he has the confidence that he can basically get himself through any situation. And my dad's famous saying when I was a kid was rather have than not need than need and not have. Mm-hmm. So even though that was pounded in my head as a kid, now that I've got older, I can look at it and be like, I'm not going to need that. 
I can figure out some other way to engineer something to make it work in that situation. Or if I do, I'll just go without and I'll hike out and, and deal with that. Yeah. I think my luxury item for me, at least out West has become my sleep system. The quality of sleep that I get so much dictates what I'm able to do the next day that for me, you know, I've kind of gone through the phase of having crappy nights, sleeps up on the mountain and now I'm just, I'm ready. I'll, I'll gladly take in the extra two pounds, you know, to get a really good night's sleep. Um, so, so like with the hammock, it's like, yeah, I could ditch the hammock entirely and carry everything else, you know, the same and just sleep on the ground. And that would save me some weight, but it's not as comfortable. I'm not going to be as well rested the next day. Yeah. Out here, I don't really know what my luxury item would be that I take with me every, cause typically after a day of hunting, I could probably sleep on the ground and I'd sleep through the night <laughs> cause I'm tired. Um, you know, cause I even got, uh, it's a small sleeping pad. So it goes from like my head to my, the point of my hips basically. So I don't even run a full length sleeping pad most of the time. Cause I know I'm going to be so tired, but when I get back, I don't care if my knees are on the ground. Um, I just run at a lighter lighter pad to cut weight for out east honestly if i didn't film my hunts i really don't even know that i would bring a pack at all late season when you need the extra clothes yeah or if i'm on an all-day hunt i want to bring some food and you know like a couple liters of water yeah i'd bring a pack but like early season it's like would i really need a pack probably not if I had enough pockets in either my pants or my jackets to comfortably carry the essentials, the knife, the cell phone, the wallet, the keys, um, if you're going to bring a grunt tube, a small grunt tube, it's like, what all do you really need? It's like, well, I could take, you know, if I wanted the extra pockets, a minimalist turkey vest, which I've actually tried before, or what I think might be even better is like one of those mesh fly fishing vests that has some extra pockets on it that can basically carry all the stuff that you would need, you know, like a little pocket for milkweed and you got your release in a pocket and, you know, just really prevents you from taking the extra crap that you really don't need into the tree. What in the East, that's the big difference for me. It starts with what I'm taking. If I grab the compound, I know I'm going to be carrying more gear, but if I grabbed a trad bow, it was literally the trad bow. That was it. You know, the trad bow and the bow hanger. Wouldn't bring a pack, wouldn't bring a grunt call, wouldn't bring a notebook, wouldn't bring. It's just a different mindset knowing I'm grabbing a trad bow versus a compound. It was just completely different. You know, no range finder, no release, all that stuff. You just grab the trad bow, throw your tab on, put your bow holder in your pocket, and you're off and going with the saddle and sticks. And that's it, you know, versus having a pack and, and everything else. So it's, it's kind of a mindset for me, even the same way out here, you know, just looking at the trad bow, I'm like, trad bow you know two arrows basically when i was in the east i never took more than two arrows hunting with me um so that's all i ever took hunting whitetails with a trad bow don't know why i just did i carry like six when i go with the compound that doesn't make any sense well and some people take that to the next extreme too and just hunt it off the ground yeah the heck with a tree stand i'll kill deer off the ground one thing i will say is that every time that i have hunts off the ground it's like when that final shooting light, you know, finally does come and go, it's so nice just to be able to stand up and basically just walk, start walking <laughs> back to the truck. <laughs> Don't have to deal with any of the crap. That's that's nice. Um, but I'll still be finding myself taking in the, the sticks and the, the stand or the platform just to, to give myself that little extra edge. Yeah, throw up, you know, like a leafy suit, a, you know, a, 
ASAT leafy suit or something on and a stool, and that's all you really need. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can go super lightweight. It's just a matter of where you want to draw the line in the sand and say, this is lightweight for me compared to, you know, reading everything and seeing somebody else's three pounds lighter. Oh, I got to beat them. <laughs> right, right. I've thought about actually uh, when I go out west, because uh, it's always, it sucks trying to find a spot to sit for me. Uh, Cause I always never seem to be able to find something that I can sit comfortably for like 20, 25 minutes, you know, either my, my bottle get numb or I'm sitting on a root goofy or all my pressures on one leg. Cause I'm sitting at a, an incline and I got to be able to hold my body weight vert or, you know, upright. So I've thought, you know, pretty heavily about actually just bringing either like a sit drag or like the saddle out west and just having a lightweight like an eight millimeter or six millimeter tether or something i can just throw around the tree and then i can just sit there like that comfortably for however long i want to sit and it really helps me slow down because i'm not getting anxious to move to the next spot because i'm uncomfortable i'll just run a, a kuyu glassing pad between my frame and my pack and that's all i use and it it's not the greatest thing ever but it knocks just enough of the uh the sharp edges of the rock off that you can sit still a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, that's I that's what I carry. It's like a couple ounces. could be thicker, but it works. Yeah, I'm trying to think as far as, like, nice-to-haves and luxury items, the things that I have left behind in the past but now will pretty much always take. From the whitetail side of things, I'm not really sure if there is much of anything to be honest. I mean, other than like the climbing systems that I've settled on, I mean, I pretty much I've settled on, I'm either going to use wild edge steps or I'm going to use my DIY climbing sticks. And that's probably all I'll mostly ever use. Um, just cause they, I like both those setups are both lightweight enough for me. I don't have a need to go any lighter, you know, for the most part. And those are luxuries that, and I, I call them luxuries cause I know that I could get much lighter but for most people, those are going to be even weight savings just going to something like that. Um, out west, like you said, my luxury item is pretty much my sleep system. I wish I could go back and, and remember what was in my pack when I came out here, when I was out here in 2008 and I killed my mule deer. I wish I could know what was in my pack then compared to what's in my pack now. And I bet it would be drastically different items in my pack because like now it's just the bare minimums to get me through you know because i know how close i am to like salt lake to cities and stuff like that that it's like if it gets that bad i'll just walk out right versus when i came out here in 2008 i didn't really have that full grasp in my head i remember i had like a whole pack of bagels i had a whole um like jar of peanut butter and that's what that was basically in honey and i just had all kinds of stuff in my pack and looking back on it i kind of chuckle when i think of oh hey i remember having this in my pack I'm like why did i have that <laughs> but it's just, it's just not knowing at the time in college we took a trip to the boundary waters me and a, a a few of my friends and for a few of the guys they weren't really into backpacking that much at all their idea of camping was you know kind of the rv or the, you know the coleman car camping type of thing and my roommate in college, he he had his big rented, you know, Duluth pack, canoe pack, basically stuffed full with as much sweets and snacks. Because <laughs> in his house, he's used to having, you know, snack foods all the time, anytime you want to get them. So he had like a bag of like peanut M&Ms and like <laughs> just all these like random things that you wouldn't 
if you were looking at like a wait list, you would just, you would never even think to, to bring these things. Um, you would cringe just looking right, at it. Right. Like, oh. And, and the portages that we took, man, they sucked. They were hard. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't even know how heavy those packs were, but then you're carrying the canoes and stuff on top of it. <laughs> man, that was a, that was a fun experience. We caught a lot of fish. Yeah, that a whole boundary water trip stuff has always kind of interested me. So I've got a cousin that's went up there quite a few times. Maybe one day I'll go up there and, and do it. I'm just not a big fisherman, so it doesn't really make much sense for me to go and just paddle uh, my butt around. Well, if you ever want to come up there, you can come on up. We're going to be going up in uh, Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully it'll be a canoe or kayak trip and not an ice fishing trip, the way this spring's <laughs> been going. <laughs> it'll probably still be an ice fishing trip. One year we went up there and it was literally 80 degrees in the weekend before memorial day which was absolutely unheard of the water temp was like 60 but it could just as easily be you know in the 40s that time of year that's nuts that's a whole another other thing we could get into is how do you pack for a, a canoe or a kayak trip Oh, yeah. How do you pack for really any trip? It's right. like, you know, do you look at the weather and believe what you read, or do you <laughs> prep for the worst? Do you, do you find yourself ever desiring to change your system? You've been using the same system for so long, it seems like. Do you have any desire to upgrade any of your stuff that you're using right now? Yes, my climbing sticks. Simply because, not because they're heavy, but only because the step spacing is too close for me personally. So they're 20, I think they're 20 inch steps and it's like maybe they're 20 inch steps with 18 in between or they're 22 inch steps with 20 in between. Either way, I could go another three inches. I could go to a 25 or 26 inch step spacing and be comfortable. What's that going to gain me a foot, foot and a half, maybe you know, is it really worth it? Not really, you know, but I'm going to get that extra foot and a half. That's not that big of a deal, but that would be the only thing that, you know, I would probably consider changing. Um, but in order to do that, it's going to have to meet some other criteria to force the change, just a longer step spacing. If I had to go to a Versa button or a rope mod, I wouldn't do it. I'd stick with my shorter muddy sticks with the, the cam cleat. What about a folding step? Would you be fine with a fixed step, or would you need the to have the folding? Uh, I'd, I've, I haven't folded my muddy steps up in probably three years. I don't even know if they would close now. <laughs> Just rusted, I've always, rusted open. <laughs> I've always left my muddy sticks open. It was It's an extra pointless step to close them. So my biggest thing is the rope system. It would have to be the cam cleat and then the uh, standoff, so the bracket that contacts the tree, would not pivot. Um, most all of them now they pivot to deal with the bend of a tree or whatever that drives me nuts um, I hate it so my muddy sticks were the original ones that were made in eight or nine maybe and they have a fixed standoff so they do not pivot and I've never seen a use for a pivoting stick when I had my three-step lone wolves I hated it and it's just stuck with me so that would be the only part of my system that I would probably change is my climbing system I saw that you had bought a set of the muddy hunter sticks that had the fixed double steps. Yes. Are you, I'm assuming you have plans <laughs> with those. <laughs> they are sitting over here on the floor of my house, um, cut to 26 inch step spacing, 
They're like 28 inches overall. The two things that I'm waiting on is I need a, the standoffs, again, pivot. So that drives me nuts. So I got to find a different standoff that doesn't pivot. And then I have to find a good cam cleat that I like that is low profile. Can't you just take both of those things off of the Muddy Pro Sticks that you have? I'm not going to ruin my good Muddy Pro Sticks for that. <laughs> those things are like solid gold to me. They're never. I'm never going to take them apart. So that's the difference between you and me. My Lone Wolf Sticks are in pieces in my attic from... Oh, I take Lone Wolf <laughs> Sticks apart in a heartbeat. <laughs> that's not a problem. But I, the because they're so desirable to me, right, um, I was right. mad. Somebody sold... Somebody had a set of like six of them on Saddle Hunter like a month or two ago that had the old style cleat that didn't pivot or anything like that. And they sold them for a ridiculous amount of money, but I'd have paid every penny of it and not even thought twice about it because they're that great of a stick to me. So is the 26 inch tubing that you bought to use with those sticks, is it the thinner walled 16th inch tubing or is it the, you know, one eighth inch wall that would have came probably stock on the sticks? I think it's it's whatever you used in your DIY stick video. I bought the same tubing. I was able to source it out here locally at Salt Lake, and I had them go and custom cut it to length. Um, so I had them cut it at like 29 inches, and I think I cut a little bit of it off um, once I figured out the staggered step spacing because of the cleats. But I've, I'm stuck at that stage, but I like the Hunter fixed steps. I think they're a great size. They're, I'm glad they don't fold, but it's a matter of finding a, a cam cleat and a standoff that does not pivot. How are you carrying in your sticks right now? I use a extra tree strap, basically, or the same length of rope like a lineman's belt, and that's how I carry my sticks in is I will loop one end over the cleats on one side and then wrap the other end around and clip it back to itself. So you're basically carrying them like a duffel bag. Yes. Okay. Yeah, same as a duffel bag strap, basically. But I just use an extra tree strap in case I get out there, mine's failed, it's not attached to my saddle, I have an extra one, basically. Yeah, that's the way I, for the most part, carried my sticks with the fixed steps last year. The only issues that I kind of ran into was that a lot of the areas that I was going through, at least at certain points during the walk, would either have you know higher than waist-high grass, and so you'd get the edge of the step catching sometimes on that. Or sometimes you'd be kind of bushwhacking through areas that had some thorns. And it'd be really nice to have two hands to be able to spread the thorns apart so you can actually get through them. As opposed to just the, um, I mean, you do have one hand free. But if, let, you know, if I'm trying to like crouch or whatever or kind of maneuver, those sticks kind of want to swing around. And I'd use that other hand to kind of stabilize them. So I'm kind of trying to, I've, I've moved more toward carrying those sticks in my backpack and just having them stick out the top and then having one strap that goes around sort of the top of the sticks and then attaches to the top of the shoulder straps, kind of like load lifter straps. That seems to be working pretty right. well. Yeah, that would be a, I think if somebody could develop a, a backpack similar to that where you had like a, a load shelf area, so whether it was like a, a plastic frame or something, but had a, a gap that you could slide your sticks down into and secure them in that area and then a backpack behind that but man had it where it carried well. I think that'd be a really good system for most people to where you're not having, like you said, when I have mine hanging off my side, basically they're underneath of my left arm about waist high. So I kind of use my hand on the cleats 
to kind of guide them where I need to go. But there are sometimes if you're going through waist high grass or, you know, waist high, um, briars, whether it be Smilax or multiflora rose, where they do kind of get caught up and stuff and you got to kind of pull them through with you. But like I said, if you duck to crouch under a tree limb or something, they naturally want to swing to in front of you. Yeah, I usually have mine on the left side as well, being left-handed, just because I, then I can carry my bow in my right hand in the odd case that I do have an opportunity to shoot on the way in, then those sticks aren't in the way. Yeah, I never even thought about that. I don't ever think I've ever had the opportunity to shoot at a deer on the way in. I've only had it happen a couple times, but once it happens once, then you think about it every time. I run through the woods like a Tasmanian devil most of the time, so noise isn't really a factor. So maybe that's why I never had an opportunity <laughs> to shoot at a deer from the ground. What about you? What would be the one one thing you would change on your system to go lighter with? You know, I think for me, it's kind of a toss-up, I would say. I mean, you look at the numbers. Camera gear is always right there. And at times I've comp contemplated, excuse me, I have contemplated do I want to leave the camera gear at home and just kind of scrap the filming hunts idea, maybe just use like a tact cam or something, and then just like continue making YouTube videos on just, you know, gear and, and DIY videos and that kind of stuff. But I keep going back to, I just, I just enjoy filming my hunts too much. So I got to carry that camera gear. I always force myself to do that. Now it's a question of, you know, would there be a better option for the camera gear, especially if I'm going to be filming with a saddle. Um, and I guess kind of to that end, I have been DIYing a, another camera arm that shaves another pound roughly off of what I had with my fourth arrow arm. And I bought some tubing, 16th inch wall tubing with a, a high, kind of, kind of a rectangular profile. And I've cut them to shorter lengths that more easily works with saddle hunting. And I could pass that camera between me and the, the tree a lot easier. That makes a big difference so far, just playing around with it in my backyard. So I think that this may be something I'm going to implement this year that would be kind of like a big thing. But, I mean, apart from that, there's there's very little things, I think, that are going to be major impact items. Yeah, you you seem to have lightened your, your gear list so much that camera gear is really the only place where you could lighten it and then you go back to dollar per ounce and that really skyrockets when you get to camera gear, you know, sure you could go to a, a better camera that's lighter, but you're going to pay a hundred plus more dollars an ounce basically for that. I've actually, so that would add up. I've actually kind of, I, I kind of look at it a different way. I look at it as for me, the cost goes up with the quality of the camera more so than the weight of the camera. And typically as the quality of the camera goes up, the weight does as well. So like if, if you've ever seen behind the bow, his videos on YouTube, he makes really good quality videos and he carries a lot of weight of camera gear into the woods because he's basically carrying in a DSLR. He's carrying in a 70, you know, 200 zoom lens. He's carrying in all these things that he knows will give him great quality footage. And I just, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm willing to carry that much extra weight. So for me, it's like, well, I could probably carry a cheaper camera in that would weigh less. Cause you go to Walmart or Best Buy or whatever, you see all those little camcorders that are made for filming your kid's soccer game. Those things are super light. I could save probably almost two pounds just by getting rid of my main camera that I use and going to one of those cheaper cameras. The camera that I filmed my Colorado mule deer hunt with last year, that was an $83 camera that weighs like, I don't know, eight ounces. 
but I look at the quality of the footage on that hunt and it just makes me cringe when I look at it compared to my nice Sony. Yeah, and to me, like you look at it as look at some of the guys that hunt the West for the most part. Some of these guys are using these really small frame cameras, like DSLRs that have a small body frame, basically. Um, and quality seems to be really good, but then you learn about the price of that camera and you're like, yeah, no thanks. That's like way more than I'd want to spend on anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there are some out there that are that can be super lightweight, but, you know, would go up. But, you know, in turn, you're carrying batteries as well. You know, I talked to a guy this year that was using some fancy camera, but he was only running like three hours off of a battery or something stupid. He had like 30-something batteries with him on a hunt. And I'm like, that's nuts. I would not do that <laughs> crap, especially hiking in. And the batteries weren't light either. They were most of the weight of the camera body and i'm like yeah no no thanks i will stick to just showing off trophy pictures if i get something and that's a big if (laughs) yeah so i said my camera list was was like what seven eight pounds for whitetails out west it's even heavier because you know the the transition between the camera arm and the tripod is roughly the same so i'm not really saving or losing anything there but then i'm having to carry in two of those extra big power banks it's like well do i want to buy a bunch of extra you know, camera batteries I can just swap in or out, or do I want to have some big power banks that I can just hook up to the stuff? And those are usually a little bit easier for me to deal with, and they're a little bit easier to charge, and they charge things so much faster. You know, I can plug my phone into those things with the rapid charge and the high voltage. I like my rapid charge, so I just bring those big battery banks, and I'm carrying in an extra, you know, two three pounds. Yeah, so there's a there's always a trade off somewhere. It's a matter of finding it mm-hmm. and what you want to deal with. So I guess in summary, we didn't really answer the question of what is the best ultralight system because it's kind of different for everybody based on how you handle the trade-offs. Yeah, I I think basically to sum it up is find out what is where that ultralight line is for you, that ultralight to two light line. So everybody has that line in there where it's like, okay, this is the lightest that I can go, feel comfortable, confident, um, and be effective. And it's just a matter of testing that line until you figure out where it's drawn in the sand for you. And it's drawn only in the sand because you can erase it and draw it somewhere else later. It's not set in stone. Yep. And don't be afraid to go well beyond what you think that line should be at while doing it safely, just so that you know for sure where that line should be drawn. And you're not second guessing yourself and saying, what if? What if I could find something lighter? And with that, we'd like to once again thank everybody for listening in. If you do happen to be in the market for something that will make your overall setup for whitetail hunting a little bit lighter, be sure to check out the Arrow Hunter saddle system that can be found at arrowhunter.us. And as always, we'd like to invite you guys to follow us on social media, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, DIY underscore Sportsman, and at Boudreaux Boswell. Along with that, be sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation social media pages as well. If you haven't already noticed, the Sportsman's Nation is now broken up into both a whitetail hunting series of podcasts and also a western hunting themed series of podcasts. So be sure to subscribe to both of those if they pique your interest. And if you would be so kind, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really would mean a lot to both us and the network.